The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Today we're going to look at family tensions. We've gone through a series that we began last week called Tensions. And we're going to look at family tensions today. And we want to look at Colossians 3 and Genesis 16. But uh, as we look through our text, we're going to see three things about family tension. And the first thing that we're going to look at today is cultural pressure add tension to the family. Cultural pressures add tension to the family. How many have experienced difficulty in the day that you live in as a Christian trying to be a believer in a world whose culture and whose custom is anti-God, anti-the-Bible way of doing things. In other words, most people in the world that we live in today have adopted to, adapted to, things that have become cultural norms that are contrary to the Word of God. As we've traveled the world and gone to different places, and uh, especially as each year uh, Pastor Justin lived for 10 years or more there in Africa, and we go each year and Uh, the one thing that I learned is that the gospel is applicable in every nation, tribe, language, people, and tongue. But when you go to a place, you have to deal uniquely with the culture and the customs of those people, and you have to show them how that when the Word of God presents to them something different than their culture and different than their customs, they need to be obedient and submissive to the Word of God even if that means throwing off cultural norms, even if that means casting off things that are not not, uh, normal to them. Go back to Colossians chapter 3 where we read, and I want you to see this with me. There's the normal tensions of family life, right? How many, when you started a family, you found out that it it was was tense? Uh, You were tense before the baby was born, and then the baby came in, and then it was extra added tension to that. Uh, How many it was tense before you had children? And then you add children to the mix, if God blessed you with children, and then it becomes even more tense. There's other tensions that need to be managed. And so there's the normal tensions of life. And we see this in Abram and Sarah's life in in, uh, Genesis 16. Again, Abram's the father of many. God promises to him his many children. He's 85. Sarah's 75. She's barren. She hasn't had children. That's normal tension that people experience even today. Barrenness, not being able to have children, different different difficulties in their lives. And so marriage and life come with their own natural tensions that exist. And uh, as we discussed last week, we're conducting relationships in a fallen world, right? So that's the reason for the tensions. That's the reason for the existence of those relational tensions. When sin came into the world, death by sin came. And so death passed upon us all. And so there's those normal tensions, but there's the added tensions that come from the cultural customs that influence us. And sometimes we're not aware of the cultural norms we have accepted in family that God wants us to change as believers. I'll give you this illustration. A fish is not aware that it's wet. Would you agree with that? A fish is not aware that it's wet. You're aware you got wet when you came in today because that's not your normal habitat. That's not normal to be, you know, soaking wet, okay? We are used to being dry, like to be dry, okay? And so we understand the purpose of water, but we don't want to be wet all of the time. 
Fish are not aware that they're wet. It's the habitat, environment, natural state for which they are in. Sometimes what happens in our lives is that we get so used to being in the environments that that we're in, even when they're anti-God or opposite of what God's Word teaches, that they become so normal to us that we don't, we're not even aware of them. And how many, when you became a believer, you became aware of some things that you were unaware of before? In other words, you, you started to see, okay, this is not supposed to be this way, but I didn't know it. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to handle conflict this way, because I always did, and I, you know, it was always exemplified uh, that way to me and my family, but I didn't know that. I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to behave this way. And all of a sudden, we become new creatures in Christ at the moment we become born again. And we become painfully aware that the culture that we're in is not the culture we're supposed to be in. I want you to cause, call your attention to Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 7. Paul is saying to the Coloss church at Colossians, he said, you were children of disobedience, verse 6. And he says, in the which ye also walked some time when ye what? Lived in them. He said, this is the normal, you know, practice in your life before you came to know Christ, before the word of God was taught you, before you were taught and trained the, the scriptures. How many know that it's not just being born again, but it's also the fact that we need to be in the scriptures. We need to learn the word of God. The Bible says that, that we would go into all the world, preach the gospel, that we would baptize, but that we would teach them to observe all things whatsoever God has commanded. A, a believer who doesn't know the scriptures is, is immature and needs to be a newborn babe desiring the sincere milk of the word that he may grow thereby. How many know you need the word? So that's why we focus on the Word when we gather together, because it's what we all need. We need the Word of God. The Word of God is necessary for our growth. Uh, all these things that we do together are great, the social time, the singing time, all these things, but this is what helps us grow, the Word of God. And the Word of God's eternal, and it's quick, and it's powerful, and it's uh, uh, perfectly preserved for us, that we have it today, that we can understand it, that the Holy Spirit gives us an understanding of things that we didn't have before. But notice they were living. What were they living in? Well, verse 8 tells us they were in, they had, you know, carnal affections, verse number 2, that they needed to change to eternal affections. He called them to set their affections on things above. They needed to have a selfless submission to Christ. Look at verse number 3. He says, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. He's saying you need to be selflessly submitted to Christ or dead yourself, your own ambitions and desires. He says in verse number five that you need to have a body that's under control. I want you to think about this, a body that's under control. He's saying put away sexual sin. He's saying put away impurity, put away lust, put away evil desires, put away greed. Now, here's the thing. If you're not a believer, that might be funny to you. Well, the culture that we live in, that's okay. It's a sexual sin. That's okay. It doesn't matter. This is just whatever. Love is love. Whatever people want to do is fine. It's all up to them. That's the culture that we live in. The natural man understandeth not the things of God. They're foolishness unto him, even laughable in some sense. I understand that if I was speaking to unbelievers, which I understand that sometimes that's what we're doing when we're here, 
if you find that laughable and unnecessary, you say, well, it doesn't really matter what the Bible says. That's old, that's archaic, that's not for today. That's the way people used to do things. Can I tell you, that, tell you something? This is thousands of years ago. People did not used to uh, just put away sexual sin. They lived in sexual sin then, just like we do now. Uh, it, it was just as normal a practice then as it is now. Sometimes we have this thing in our mind, old-fashioned, the way people used to do things. People were just as sinful thousands of years ago as they are now. Go back to Noah's time. Everything in man's thoughts and imaginations were only evil continually. Go to Abram's day, Sodom and Gomorrah. What, what was going on in that, that city? Go, go around the world through history Wickedness, idolatry, sexual sins, immorality, impurity. And many of these early churches in the Bible thousands of years ago had to be instructed by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through these letters to put off things that they had lived in before they came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's speaking to believers. And I'm getting somewhere because we're talking about family tension, but you understand that a lot of family tension exists because families that come into Belief in the Lord Jesus Christ sometimes don't put off these things. They were the reason for problems within the church. There was sexual sin in the church. There was impurity in the church. There was lust and greed and covetousness. And and, uh, the Holy Spirit was correcting these things. How many believe the Word of God is profitable? But what's it profitable for? Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. If God's Word can't correct me, then I'm living by my own Word, not by God's Word. And so God's word challenges us from where we used to live in. And he says, put this away. Change your thinking about sexual sins and immoralities, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. Notice he says in verses 8 and 9, put off anger, wrath, malice, filthy language, lying. Why is he saying this to us? Well, Abram and Sarah had been called out of a carnal world and culture, but their family tensions were coming from things in culture that they still had yet to lay aside. If you think about it, where did, where did they even get Hagar from? From Egypt, where they weren't supposed to be, where they weren't supposed to stay, where they disobeyed God. Abram and Sarah went to a place where God told them not to go. They disobeyed God, and from that they got problems, but they also had consequences to those problems. They also got things that they brought into their life that they should have never even brought into their life. Where did Hagar come from? Egypt. She shouldn't even have been there as a temptation. But they brought her into their lives, and through that, they ended up with this problem because they hadn't put away some things that God told them to put away. How many have had problems and family tensions in your life because after salvation, God told you to put away some things, and you just didn't? You didn't put away some things. And I I would submit to you, you may have come from a home where lying to get out of your problems was okay. You may have come from a home where cheating people or not paying your taxes was okay. You, you may have come from a home where taking advantage of government systems for your own advantages was just normal. You may have come from that kind of environment. Listen, we have people, the church is just as touched with this in culture as, as anything, and people come from these, these backgrounds because they were raised that way. It's what is normal to them, ordinary to them. We lie, we cheat. Hey, everybody's doing it. You know, that's why these things exist. That's why we, you know, we have to, you know, we, we don't have another means to. We make excuses for, right? We don't have another means. I don't make enough money. I don't have, so I have to lie. I have to cheat. I have to steal. I have to live in ways uh, that are wrong. You may have come from a home where sex outside of marriage was accepted, that it was normal to live with someone that isn't your spouse. That may be in a cultural norm for you. 
By the way, that's just as much something that we have to deal with within the context of the church thousands of years ago and today. You're not the first one that has been faced with that temptation. You won't be the last one. And God has answers for that situation. That may have become at some point normal to you and accepted to you, but can I show you from God's Word that it's not acceptable to God? It's not normal to God, that it causes tension and problems within the home, that it causes problems for children. It causes problems upon multi-generations, children, grandchildren. Uh, I was saved uh, in a Christian home, but I tell you, my parents came from very broken homes. Both of their uh, families divorced. Some uh, adulterous uh, affairs and different situations had happened in their lives. And Christ rescued them from their situation. And they came together. And God brought mom and dad together. And they decided in those moments that they were to give their hearts and lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't know what that was going to look like, but they had to put away a lot of stuff. They had to lay aside a lot of stuff. They had to decide that what was normal to them growing up was not normal in a Christian family. That some of the things that were allowed in their childhood were not going to be allowed in our childhood. That some of the things that they had experienced and were exposed to were not going to be repeated in their life. Now, obviously, imperfectly, that was done. I didn't have a perfect home just because I had a Christian home. There are no perfect homes, but you understand what happens is when we get saved and the Holy Spirit sheds some light on some things in our lives, He says, hey, listen, some things in your family have to change in order for you to alleviate some of the tensions, not just the natural tensions that come with family, but the cultural tensions that come from our customs. You may have come from a home where people solve their problems by yelling and screaming and cursing at each other. Come on, are you with me? Is that the way it's supposed to be in a Christian home? Should there be yelling and screaming and abuse? That's not how it's supposed to be. It doesn't matter how angry you get, how disobedient your children are. Uh, it's not the way that it's supposed to be, but some people come from those, those, those environments. And so because of that, that's normal to them, that's natural to them. And some of you have experienced that. You know the pain of that. You know the suffering of that. And some of us, we even had to struggle through our own natural tendencies to go there. How many of you have to pull yourself back because you were raised... As, I, I hear sometimes people even glorify the way that they were raised, even if it was wrong. Well, when I was young, if something happened, you just took, took anything around, just whopped somebody upside the head. Well, how many know that's not the way that it should be done? Just because it happened to you doesn't mean that's the way it should happen in your home. Just because abuse became normal to you on some level doesn't mean abuse should be normal in the Christian home. Just because yelling and screaming was normal to you doesn't mean it should be normal in the Christian home. Let me, let me show you What does he say? He says, put away some things. He says, put away anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Verse 8, lie not to one another. Seeing it, you have put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge. How is it renewed in knowledge? The knowledge of the word of God renews us. You've been transformed by the what? The renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable. And notice what he tells us to put on. He tells us to put off some things, and then he tells us to put on some things. You still with me? Verse 12, as the elect of God put on holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a what? Quarrel, fight, okay? If you're having a disagreement, whatever you want to call it. You're di- you know, we don't fight, we have disagreements, whatever you want to call it. Tension, 
between you and someone else. From whence cometh wars and fightings among you? Don't they even come of your own, the Bible says, lusts? They war against you. They war in you. They war around you. And he says, put off these things. How many know that there's some things that are in your life that according to the scriptures, you're going to have to put off? You're going to have to change. Your custom needs to change. The culture needs to change. What changes the culture? Christ, the gospel. We can't can't go out and legislate morality. Legislative morality fails. You cannot legislate the gospel. You can't command people to be saved. We're we're not going to be, if not, we're going to become very, uh, you know, way back when the Crusades kind of way of going into forcing people to claim the name of Christ, renounce whatever religion they have. That's not what we're supposed to be trying to do. Listen, whether, uh, whether uh, America, America was founded as a Christian nation, I, I don't know that I would call it a Christian nation today. I know it was founded that way, but we're living in a nation right now that does not just embrace Christianity. How many know that? As a matter of fact, it may not embrace Christianity at all anymore. It may tolerate it to some extent and level, but it doesn't embrace it. This idea that we're still living in a nation where everybody just accepts the Bible is false. They've rejected the Bible. They've rejected God's truth. So we're living in that as the church. Does that mean we should, you know, throw in the towel? No, no. It just means that we should all the more, like the early church who lived in a culture that was anti-God, say, let's go out and preach the gospel. Let's teach people the word of God. Let's help them to understand through our transformed lives that what we have is real, it's authentic, that we haven't just turned over a new leaf or joined a 12-step program. We, we truly have been changed, transformed in our nature and our desires. And there's some things we have to put up. As we look at these kind of commands and the application of them back in Genesis 16, uh, let me just say this. The greatest tensions often come from those who are closest to us. The greatest tensions often come from those who are closest to us. I don't know if this happened or not, but let's say uh, Mamre, Abram's friend, had suggested that Abram take Hagar to be his second wife or the one that would bear his children. Abram may have cast off that idea. But you notice the person that suggested it to him was someone very close to him, very influential in his life. It was his own wife. She was permissible towards something that he may have been, maybe in his mind, okay with culturally. She was permissible, and so because she gave her permission. Do you think if Sarah had not given permission and resisted this, that this would have happened? Sarah, if she had said, no, this is not what I want to happen, this is not, it wouldn't have happened. But Sarah's not only encouraging it, she's offering it. She's saying, hey, go, you know, go lay with this, uh, this woman. You know, take her to be your wife. Have, have a child with her because we're going to have children. That, and by the way, while we scratch our head at that, there's still many places in our world where that's a normal, customary, cultural practice. It's not accepted so much in our culture this way, it's just accepted another way. In other words, you can sleep with people who are not your spouse, so as long as you're not in a committed relationship with someone else, because that's appalling. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says you shouldn't sleep with anyone that's not you're not married to, ever. You shouldn't excuse it if you did, you should repent of it if you've done it, and you should turn away from it. And that's not trying to be judgmental or hard on you. That's trying to say, hey, that's going to help you to free you from the sins that enslave you and keep you from 
living the life that God has for you. And sometimes we don't throw these things off, but the greatest tensions often come from those who are closest to us, who are most influenced by. The same phrase, uh, if we look at, you remember Eve in the garden, Satan Satan influenced Eve and then Eve influenced Adam, right? You see how powerful women are in the family, in the home? Do you see that? The idea in the scriptures is never that women are helpless, useless, uh, invaluable. As a matter of fact, God presents to women, you have an intense amount of influence, not only over your family, your children, but over your husband when it comes to right and wrong and him following God. In other words, you can make or break your husband's ability to submit and surrender to God. I mean, it's the truth. I could be disqualified today if my wife chooses to not follow God. I mean, she could be if I choose not to follow. You see how much influence impact as we have on one another? And sometimes what happens in, in families is they come apart because you have one spouse that's following God, another one that's not so sure or maybe backslides in their faith and is not following after God and gives in to some of these cultural norms. And look at, look at chapter 16 and verse number 2. Look, look what Sarah says. Look what she says to Abraham. And Sarah said unto Abraham, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. Who did she blame for her barrenness? God. God is the reason why. So because I'm angry with God, we could just do something that we could do something we want to do. We can do things our way. It's God's fault that I'm in this situation. God should have, He, he promised that He would, and He hasn't. So let's let's take our own, let's do our, do things our way instead of God's way. And he warns us that we need to be on guard. The greatest temptation to cool your zeal for the Lord will most likely come from family. The greatest temptation to cool your zeal for the Lord will most likely come from family. And I'm not just talking about spouses. We're talking about family today. It could be your children. It could be your in-laws. It could be people around you. Sometimes people don't follow God because they get pressure from either lost family members or family members that have no zeal for the Lord and following God and being disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'm a Christian, but I don't really have to. We don't have to be extreme. I mean, we don't really have to obey the Bible, do we? What kind of, what kind of Christianity is that? Well, we, I mean, we don't want to be extreme here. You know I mean, we're, we're Christians, but we don't really want to do it. Though. I mean, everything in the Bible, nobody does that, you know. We're, we're saved, you know, we're forgiven. We're not perfect. I understand that we're not perfect, but it does, it does uh, imply to us or, or command to us in our Christianity in the Scriptures that we're not going around saying because we've been saved by God's grace that we're going to use that grace as a license to continue in our sin. And that's some, what some people preach grace as. Grace is a license to live how you want. If you think grace is a license to live how you want, you've never truly experienced the grace of God. Man's grace is a license to live how we want. God's grace is an empowering, supernatural enabling to do God's will instead of your will. Anybody, how many know anybody can do their own will? Anybody can do what they want, and most people do. It takes a supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit to not do what you want, to lay that aside. And get this, not because you've been legislated by your church to do it, but because you have a God who indwells you 
who calls you to be holy as He is holy. And what does that look like in the world? Well, it's different from the world. And so the greatest tensions often come from those who are closest to us. Can I say this? Right motives are not enough to alleviate these tensions. We need right methods. Right motives are not enough to alleviate these tensions. We need right methods. So get this. Abram and Sarai could say this. Well, God said we're going to be the father of a great nation. And so we want to do what God said. We want to see that promise fulfilled. So we're going to do it maybe in a way that he doesn't want us to do it. But ultimately, the ends justify the means, right? Ultimately, you know, it's all going to come out in the wash. It's all going to work itself out. It's all going to, you know, if my motives are right, then whatever I do is okay. That's not what the Bible teaches us at all. As a matter of fact, we, we see in the Scriptures that God says He cares just as much about your motives as He does your methods and vice versa. He cares about your methods. He doesn't just care about your motives. I've heard people present this. Man looks on the outward appearance, so God looks on the heart. So God doesn't care what you do on the outside. He just cares about your heart. But I submit this to you. The Bible does tell us that what you are in your heart, you do in, with your body. So... If you truly in your heart want to please God, then you're going to please God in your body. That's what the Bible teaches us. In other words, he calls us as our reasonable service to God to present our bodies a living sacrifice. By the way, you want your body to belong to God. Are you with me? You want your body to belong to God because at the resurrection, you'll want your body to belong to God. Because if not, you're not going to rise. The resurrection, the dead in Christ rise first, why is there a bodily resurrection? Because Jesus rose bodily. Why is there a body resurrec- resurrection of the saints? I know we're coming into a glorified body, but get this, you want your body to belong to God. God saves the whole man, body, soul, and spirit. He saves all of us. He doesn't just want our hearts, but here's the truth. If he has your heart, he'll have your body. You can give your body and not give your heart, but you cannot give your heart without giving your body. You can give your body without giving your heart, but you cannot give your heart without giving your body. It's the truth. We understand that in marriage, don't we? What happens with a husband and wife? They give their hearts and they give themselves sacrificially, not just sexually, sacrificially, bodily. They do. Why is there actions that come? Why do actions speak louder than words? Because we give of ourselves. Right motives are not enough to alleviate these tensions. We need right methods. Both Abram and Sarah had pure motives. They wanted to bring about God's will by producing the heir God had promised. This is what people do sometimes with what God says to lay off. God says, don't do this. You say, well, my intentions are good. You don't understand. My... This is what people often will say. I'll say, to, hey, listen, this is what the Bible says. Well, you don't understand my situation. How many know that your situation doesn't change God's commands? Your circumstances are not an excuse. There's no loopholes. You don't say, well, because my circumstances are this, that means I can do something that God doesn't want me to do because my motives are pure. I want to do God's will, and I can't do it His way. i got to do it my way. That's what Abram and Sarah said. We want to do God's will, but we don't believe in the supernatural. We don't believe in the miraculous. We don't believe that God can do. What happened when God later came and delivered the message to Sarah that she was going to be with child? She laughed. Why did she laugh? Because she didn't have faith to believe that God could do that. By the way, if you received that message, don't laugh at her. You wouldn't have faith to believe it either. 
We're not even close to her age there. If God delivered that message to you today, you'd laugh too. But how many know that God's promises are sure and true? God's timing is perfect and right. We shouldn't try to go around God's plan to do what we want. There's a special uh, problem for us because Americans are a pragmatic people, aren't they? If it works, it must be right. If it feels good, it should be okay. That's the pragmatism that most Americans are living by. If it feels good, do it. If, If it makes me feel good, if it makes me happy, then it must be right. That's the, that's the way people are challenging all the things that God says in His Word today. Well, I understand that the Bible says, yeah, that's old, that's old-fashioned, but if it makes me happy, if it, makes me, if it gives me peace, if it makes me feel good, then it must be okay. Notice that Abram got the intended results with Hagar. He got a son. But it wasn't from the Lord, and it created all kinds of problems for him, didn't it? In the short run and in the long run, And right motives need to be accompanied by right methods. Right methods involve seeking the Lord, not using culturally acceptable means to escape our problems. Right methods involve seeking the Lord, not using culturally acceptable means to escape our problems. When Sarai said this, the Lord hath restrained me, in verse 2, it should have set off the warning lights. Listen, whenever you're about to do something because you're mad at God, it should set off the warning lights. If you think God has, God's not come through, God's not going to do it, I'm not trusting God. Well, I need to do this. I just need to do this. I know that the Bible says I should. I know that the Bible does instruct, and I've even seen people use the Bible to do the things that they want. They talk about, well, you know, I was reading in the Scriptures, and then they just take something, the Scriptures, spiritualize it, apply it to their situation, and just ignore what the Scriptures say in other places about what they're doing. How many, how many know the Bible doesn't contradict itself? And those who believe the Bible shouldn't contradict it either. The Bible doesn't contradict itself, and those that believe the Bible shouldn't contradict it either with their lives. In other words, we, sh- we shouldn't take the Scriptures and use it as a means to do what we want. And people say this all the time. I, I know, you know, I know, Pastor, I know I should be in church, but. I, I know I need to do this, but. I know, I know I need to, I know I'm supposed to, but. But, you don't understand my situation. You don't understand my, you don't understand. Listen, you don't understand how much God wants to bless you if you just surrender and submit to His way. If you would just give in and just say, okay, I get that this is what God wants in my life. If you would surrender... Listen, anybody else like me have a very strong, stubborn will? Anybody else like me like to do things your own way? Maybe I'm the only one today. I don't know. There's a few of you in the, in the back. Thank you, brothers and sisters. I appreciate it. Can I get an Amen. You know, I understand that many of us, we have this strong, stubborn will. Some of us, you know, we blame our heritage for it, but it's just our flesh. We, we blame our ethnicity for it. You, you know, you don't know what I, you know, my family, the way I, it's all cultural. I get it. They were cultural norms to us for us to be these ways, but it doesn't mean we have to accept them and adopt them and continue to propagate them within the realm of Christianity. Right methods involve seeking the Lord, not using culturally acceptable means to escape our problems. Sarah said the Lord restrained me. should have set off warning lights. If the Lord has prevented you, then it's wrong to try to uh, go around by another means why God has prevented you. Finding another way to do something when God stands in the way is always a mistake. If God's standing in the way, there's a good reason for it. Don't kick open the doors that God closes. You'll break your leg. Because God closes doors that nobody can open. 
And if you keep pounding on the door and kicking on the door, some people say, oh, this is the way I, this is the way, you don't understand, this is how I think, this is how I think, this is how I think. Well, who's the authority, God's word or you? This is the way we do things. I've heard people say that even in the church. Well, this is the way we do things in our family. I I get that, but what about what the Bible says? Can the Bible correct your family, the way that you do things, the culture, the customs? Hey, one of the best examples we can be to our kids is allow the Bible to correct things that we do that may not be scripturally accurate. How many have done things because your parents taught you to do those things? How many found out some of those things, like shoving castor oil down someone's throat, may not always be the best thing to do? And if you're still a castor oil person, God bless you. Just keep it away from me. How many have figured out some of the old wives' tales that have been... And it's almost like... How many remember like when people like almost went to Scripture? You know, you know the golden rule that's in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Some of the things that people say, they adapt. They just heard these things, these maxims. And this is the way we did it. This is the way we did it. This is the way we did it. And we never open ourselves to say, well, this is the way God says we should do it. It's one of the hardest things to do is in church doing things that way. Say, well, this is the way we've always done it. I've never heard that as a pastor. Well, we're going to do things this way because this is what God... Well, this is the way we always have done... This is just, You don't understand. This is... Well, what does the Bible say about it? Well, it doesn't say anything, but that doesn't matter. This is just the way we always have done it. We change that what? If we change that what? Some of the things we hold on to, we're holding on to because we're still trying to do things our way instead of just letting God have His way. It's amazing how healthy we become in the family when we surrender to God's way and just let God have his way. Faith in God alleviates family tensions. Faith in God. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to go through this quickly. Faith in God alleviates family tensions. So how do we clean up the mess we made? Abram and Sarah, okay? Abram, in verse 6, tells Sarah to do to Hagar what was good in Sarah's sight. Good counsel? Somebody comes to you, I'm really angry, displeased with this person, I really want to cause them pain, whatever you want to do. Is that good counsel? What should have Abraham said? We're the one that made the mess. Why are we going to make her pay for the mess we made? We made the mess. You say, well, she shouldn't have been involved too. You're right, but she was their servant. She, she shouldn't have. Well, I get it, but they were the ones in authority. They made the mess. It's kind of like parents... When you do something and then you blame your kids for the outcome. You know, if we made the mess, we've got to clean it up, right? If, if, we, if we, through our bad parenting, create a problem in our relationships, we shouldn't blame our kids for the mess we made when we were in authority. If your kids are turning ba- out bad because you're not creating the boundaries that God has, how many know that kids, you don't just get a good patch, batch of kids? I've had people almost say that to me. Well, you know, you just got good kids. Yeah, because that's what happens on its own. Right, because it doesn't, I mean, we just, they just were born that way. They just were good kids from the, no, they're not. You're you're looking from the outside in, but you understand their kids just like anybody else's kid, and a child left to himself brings his father and mother to shame. You, You can't just think that parenting happens by osmosis. 
Or here's another mistake. We'll just bring our kids to church. Let them be taught in Sunday school. We'll let them be taught in school. We'll let them be taught. No, you, can't, you cannot abdicate your responsibility as a parent because someone else is doing something in their life. Children will never out, over, outgrow or overcome family problems. They're going to be influenced by them. Only Christ can break those, uh, those chains and those bonds. But it doesn't matter how strong the church influence is. The home is the greatest and strongest influence in the life of a child. And you have to, listen, it's wonderful when the church, the home, the school agree. But there's problems like when we're just all kind of doing things our own way and the Bible is not the center for why we're doing it. But the Bible is supposed to be the center, the, 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 the focus, the, what we obey, the way that we, we train and do things inside of our home. We've got to clean up the mess we made. How many know that the Bible gives us God's blueprint for the family? And the main goal of the Bible is to teach us how to love God and to love each other. We don't turn to worldly wisdom, which, by the way, has flooded in the church through psychology, to learn how to get along in our families. At the heart of most psychological counsel is that you need to learn to love yourself and boost your self-esteem. But at the heart of the gospel, it's that you need to learn to deny yourself and boost others' self-esteem. Isn't that interesting? Psychology says love yourself and boost your self-esteem. The gospel says kill yourself, crucify, put yourself away, lay aside yourself, and boost up others. Lift up the esteem of others. And that's what the gospel teaches us, which is counter to psychology. It's because a lot of times, invariably, when there's conflict in the home, it's because one or both partners are failing in personal devotion towards God, and they're failing to apply God's principles for loving one another. So what do we say from Colossians 3? Shift. Shift your focus from seeking personal fulfillment and happiness to seeking to please and glorify God. Shift your focus. So it's not about personal fulfillment and happiness. It's about pleasing and glorifying God. Christians have gotten caught up in family, and in the worship of their children. Children today have become idols in the family. Parents literally worship their kids. They will do for their children things that are contrary to the Scriptures. They will disobey God to please their kids. And that's, that, that, that's, that shows us that they've become idols. We'll do things for ourselves. We'll do things instead of being obedient to God. We fall into the trap of using God and the Bible to make us happy. But if it doesn't seem to be delivering the goods, then we bail out. We bail out of relationships. We seek a fulfillment in worldly pleasures rather than submitting ourselves to God. Can I say this just quickly? Okay, If you're unhappy in your marriage, the reason you should seek counsel is not so that you, you can become happy. The reason that you should seek counsel and get help is because when you are in conflict with your spouse, your marriage does not please and glorify God. And that should be your focus. The focus in relationships should be, does this relationship please and glorify God? Not does this relationship make me happy, self-fulfilled and gratified. How many know that you will never be self-fulfilled and gratified? Your flesh is never gratified, fully self-fulfilled. If you make yourself Lord, you will crush yourself. Because it is a constant slave driver that will never be pleased. But when Christ becomes your Lord, you say, listen, if my marriage doesn't reflect Christ in the church, then it doesn't please God, and that's why I need to correct things within my marriage. 
because the purpose of my marriage is to glorify God. Get this, when you live to glorify God, it does make you truly happy. It does make you truly happy. It actually teaches you what true joy and contentment is all about instead of temporal joy and happiness. Saturate. Saturate. You cannot please and glorify God apart from saturating yourself with His Word. Apart from saturating yourself with His Word. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. In order to please and glorify God, I must saturate myself in His Word. In other words, I approach God's Word and say... God's word is my authority. What God's word says, I will do. Strive. Strive to become a biblical thinker who challenges our culture with God's word, especially in family matters. How many know that that is not easy to do? But the Bible calls us to strive together in the church for this intent and purpose. That we would be a people who live of the word of God who not only say we believe it, but live of it. And we understand, listen, that when we fall and fail, we allow the Word of God to correct us and to restore us. How many have fallen and failed and God's Word has never failed you? It has corrected you, restored you, and brought you back into a right relationship with God. It's happened to me this week. Did it happen to you this week? God's Word corrected me in some way. God, I know you're right, I'm wrong. My attitude's wrong. Your spirit's right. God, the, the motives that I was, you're right, I was wrong in my motive. I was, I was wrong in how I said. I was wrong in how I responded. Yes, it was wrong what that person did to me, but it was wrong, your word says it was wrong how I responded. I shouldn't have responded in that way. Boy, God's word just humbles us, corrects us, instructs us, but it brings us into healthy relationship, doesn't it? If we live by politics, it doesn't do that. If we live by culture, it doesn't do that. If we live in accordance with our way, it doesn't do that. But when we live in accordance with God's word, it brings us to greater health and true happiness and joy in our relationships and alleviates family tension, strive. Strive to become a biblical thinker who challenges our culture with God's word, especially in family, uh, family matters. Why should career success be your main goal in life? Why does your family need all the latest junk instead of giving generously to God's work? Why should your TV set be on for several hours every evening? Why should you run your schedule at a frenzied level like everybody else? How can you develop your family life with a ministry mindset? That's what a biblical thinker does. We are supposed to be, all of us as a church, ministers. How can I teach my family to minister by God's grace? You say, well, I'm not the minister of the church You are a minister in the church if you're part of the body of Christ. All of us are called to be ministers. We're supposed to minister to one another. We should teach our children to have ministry mindsets. You say, well, what if they don't go into ministry? Well, I hope that you want them to stay in a Bible-believing and teaching church. And if you don't root them in the Scriptures, they're going to follow these teachers that are teaching all kinds of things. They're going to follow these leaders who are teaching people that joy and fulfillment and happiness is in doing what you want, getting what you want, and getting your way. Submit. That's a tough word, isn't it? Nobody wants to do it, but it's a requirement. Husbands need to assume loving leadership in the home, and wives need to let them take it. I said let them take it because I hope that you understand that in order for a husband to lead, a wife has to let him. That's why God calls her to submit. In other words, you have a lot of power, 
ladies, you want your husband to lead. I hear, well, I wish he would lead. I wish he would lead. Well, what, do you ever thought, think maybe you're not letting him? Not allowing him? Well, I am because I'm not doing anything. How many know that, that that is not letting someone lead? Letting someone lead is not sitting back and doing it. I mean, could you imagine if that worked that way in the church? We're going to let the pastors lead, so we're just not going to do anything. That's not leadership. It, it's follow, following, encouraging, uh, ministering to, embracing, and understanding the role that I have, and being faithful to do what God has called me to do is how I let others lead in their roles. Can, can parents lead if children's don't, children don't obey in the Lord? So what does God instruct children to do? Obey. But God also instructs parents to understand that their children are supposed to obey. Because in our culture, some parents don't know that their kids are supposed to obey them. I've wanted to casually walk up to in the supermarket to a parent every once in a while and just say, do you know that you're bigger than them? Because I think some parents don't know. Oh, what, what do you want? What, what do you want? What do you want? I'm just here to do your bidding. I'm just here to do your... Listen, I understand we serve our children, but we're not subservient to them. God has called us to lead them, to instruct them, to also stand in the way in many cases and prevent them. But he's called children to obey their parents. They have to be taught that. They don't just do that. We have to be taught submission in the home. I'm not talking about abusive leadership that barks commands at his cowering wife and kids. That's not biblical leadership. I'm talking about leading by example from the strength of a growing personal walk with God. The main job description for a husband is to love his wife sacrificially as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That means not acting selfishly, always for the ultimate good of your family. If a husband focuses on his God-ordained responsibility out of a desire to glorify God and the wife focuses on hers, there'll not be competitive roles in the home. Also, you know, what about family members that don't agree with your Christian way of leading or embracing your roles? Listen, lovingly understand that they don't understand. They don't get it because they need God. Don't preach to them about family values. Preach the gospel to them and love them. You, you may not be able to change the way they do things, their view will only change if they receive the Lord. So some things we just don't, you know, we don't give in in those, those ways. I, I know that for my parents, that cost them a lot with family members who weren't saved, that didn't understand why they did, why we were in su- church. We were so extreme. We were in church every Sunday. Nobody in the family ever got, by the way, nobody in the family ever got mad with the uncle that was at the bar every Saturday. But they got mad with my dad who was in church every Sunday. Because it's okay to be at the bar every night of the week that you want to, but go to church every Sunday, and that's extreme. You go to the same coffee shop every morning, and that's normal. But go to church more than one time a week, and you're crazy. I mean, could you imagine? You might get brainwashed. How many found out a long time ago as a believer you needed a brainwashing? God, God has cleansed us, renewed us, changed our minds about so many things. Let's talk about lastly in the last five minutes we have today, the balance between law and lawlessness. Some of you just perked it. Five minutes left, okay, we can do it. The balance between law and lawlessness in family boundaries. 
No one does well when there are extremes in family life. Some people grew up in homes which had many boundaries, and so they pendulum swing into allowing things that are harmful in the lives of their children because they despise the boundaries they were given. Or they have boundaries, and they cave when it comes to family members that are lost and don't understand why they abstain from certain behaviors that are not of Christ. But notice what Christ says. Go back to Colossians 3. We're going to finish with these last verses. Put on, therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, vows of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. The closeness of family relationships makes managing conflict more difficult. And when faced with family conflict, here's some guidelines I believe the Bible is giving us. Nobody does well in lawlessness. If you go to a lawless country a place with no boundaries, is, is that, does that bring peace? Does that bring, does that bring, I mean, we understand there's a need for boundaries, right? How many put up a fence at your house or need to because you have neighbors? You know, this, this idea is that we need no boundaries in our life is the one that people are trying to propagate to us. We understand that Boundaries, and by the way, I'm not preaching politics today. So if your mind just went to the president and his whatever about boundaries, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about boundaries in your life. And this idea that we're talking, what we're talking about is that we need boundaries in our lives in order to help us to govern our lives in a way that pleases Christ. Now, we don't worship those boundaries, and we don't go to all law with our boundaries, but we don't pendulum swing to lawlessness. So how do we find the balance between them? Draw appropriate boundaries. Draw appropriate boundaries. Family conflict often involves blurred boundaries. Uh, It could be a man that marries but fails to leave his parents and cleave to his wife. It could be an adult child that moves away from home but constantly calls home for money. It could be an adult daughter that leaves her three children with her mother every day even though her mother has asked her not to. appropriate boundaries are biblical and enable you to set limits while still loving the other person. How many know that we need boundaries in our relationship? We need to listen to what God's Word says about the appeal to the relationship when enforcing appropriate boundaries. Number two, appeal to the relationship when enforcing appropriate boundaries. When you're faced with family conflict, always affirm the relationship. God forbid this happens in your life, but if you're having to deal with an adult uh, child in your life and you're having to correct different things in their lives, I mean, appeal to the relationship, not just the law, if you would. Well, this is wrong. Well, how about this? Son, I love you. I hope you know that. I'm sorry you got involved with this sin. You can stay here for a few months, but only if you take responsibility for your problems and get help. 
if you want my help, you need to see a counselor or you need to go and get help. And regardless of what you decide to do, I will always love you. What is that? That's appealing to the relationship. I love you, but my love for you does not enable you or allow you to continue to break God's laws, to do what's wrong. Appeal to the relationship when enforcing appropriate boundaries. We do that with our children's children. What does God's word say in our text? Fathers, provoke not your children to what? Wrath. In other words, rules without relationship breed rebellion. If I'm appealing to the relationship, when God corrects us, does he not appeal to our relationship? You are forgiven in Christ. I am faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you, but I'm not going to let you continue. I'm going to chasten you because I love you. How How many know that God doesn't always chasten us in the same way? God doesn't always correct us in the same way. Parents that do us well, that sometimes we don't just always have the same method of correction. When the children are really young, sometimes that's what we have to do. But as they get older, may we, as they understand our relationship, may we appeal to that relationship. I love you. This is why I'm doing this, because I love you. Nothing will change or separate you from that love. That's what we learn applying the gospel to that relationship, right? I will never stop loving you or forgiving you but I will not allow you to do this. And then lastly, recognize your limits in solving relational conflicts and relinquish the relationship to God. Recognize your limits in solving relational conflicts and relinquish the relationship to God. It takes two soft hearts for reconciliation to occur. If one person continues in sinful behavior and resists correction, the relationship will ultimately suffer. Sometimes the other individual involved walks away from the relationship. And if you find yourself in a situation like this with a family member, don't give up. Don't give up. Just because it seems like they walked away, just because it seems like they don't care, don't give up. And if you're in that situation, remember the words of God, Romans 12, 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. When you have done all that you can to restore a relationship, and I do underscore all that you possibly can to restore. Live peaceably, obey God, continue to do what God tells you to do, and release the relationship to God, and you are free in Christ. That's what the Bible says. You give it to God. God, I can't do any more. Don't give up on what you can do. I can't do any more, but I'm going to give this relationship to you and trust that you will handle the situation. Don't let that be a cop-out, by the way. Sometimes we cop out from doing what we're supposed to do. If you can go, if you can show kindness, if you can show love, you can show forgiveness, if God continues to give opportunities and open doors for that, you do as much as you can to live peaceably with somebody and show that love. Don't give that... Typical Christian cop-out, I'm praying for you, walk away from the person never desired a fellowship with them again. You know that anger and bitterness in your heart will only destroy you. Families are God's idea, and He's able to guard what you have entrusted to Him. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I committed unto Him against that day. What you commit to Christ, God is able to keep. What you give to Christ, God is able to protect. Remember that when it comes to your marriage and your family. Give it to Christ. He can protect it and keep it. We can rest in the knowledge that God loves us and will continue to work out His plan and purpose in our family. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, 
please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.